Good morning to you and welcome to another edition of Five Alive. I do believe we have now been podcasting for one full year. Woohoo! That's pretty crazy to think about. Pandemic pushed us to starting a podcast and here we are one year into it, not giving up, but keeping on, keeping on. Today I want to ask or start off by asking a question and that is, what is love? And this is a little different than what we talked about back in the day, but I'm just curious. I mean, it's been a while. We talked about it when we were talking about John 14. But today, what is your answer of what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. <laughs> what is love? It's a song. <laughs> love is a verb. Love is a verb. Can love be a noun? Yes. Yeah, yes. Love is absolutely. Not a verb. It's a noun. Yeah, it is. It's a noun and a verb. So if I say, I love pizza. Does that mean something different than a, when I say, I love my children? Yes. Yes. You can't love something. You have to like it. Oh, you can't love something. Because you don't have an affection like for the pizza. Exactly. But, but you do. Yeah. Because but it's some like people, my favorite. Yeah. They say, oh, I love it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like my, I love momos. <laughs> and if I say, I love my children... Is that different than me saying, I love my wife? Yes. So how do you know the difference? The difference is shown by your actions. And? The people it was shown towards. And? Object it's shown towards. I mean, you're correct in those things. I don't mean to make you doubt. You're correct. Yes. Yes, those are true. Anything else that it also is? A feeling. <laughs> okay, a feeling. What if I say, I love Xavier... And then I also say, I love Gurdip. Is my love for Xavier different than my love for Gurdip? Yes. yes. Why? One's a brotherly love and one's a fatherly love. And, but we understand that, don't we? Right. Like, we don't have to be told, oh my goodness, Matt said that he loves Gurdip. And he also said he loves Xavier. So that means that Gurdip, he loves Gurdip like a father and he loves Xavier like a brother. Like, we can't cross-mix that information, can we? Especially when we know who the people are. By knowing me, by knowing Gurdip, by knowing Xavier, you understand the context of when I say, I love Xavier, I mean as a father to a son. And when I say, I love Gurdip, I mean he's my bro. He is my brother, and I would do anything for him. Like, we understand that, right? Yes. So when we read this passage of scripture that we're about to read today, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25, I have heard this message preached by pastors, teachers, and theologians a lot, and they love to get hung up. Specifically, did you like that? It's almost like a pun when I said they love to get hung up. They really like to get hung up on talking about the three different types of love. There's eros, which means it's sexual love. There's agape, which means there's this intimate love that's deeper than just a friendship. And then there's phileo, which is a friendship love. That's where we get the name for the city, Philadelphia. It is the city of brotherly love. And they really like to get hung up on the three different types of love because Jesus says to Peter three different times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm not going to do that today. We're going to read the passage of scripture 
and we're going to take it in the context of the way Jesus is saying it, and we're going to understand what Jesus is saying strictly by reading the English way of saying love. We don't have to say, oh, in the Greek, there were three different ways of saying love. And so what Jesus said here is he said, I fillet you. And here he said, I agape you. No, let's just read it for what it is. Because when we say love within the context of something, we understand within the relationship of the people, we understand what is meant there. So let's read John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there is also many other things that Jesus did, where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the word itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the reading of God's word. Jesus asks the question, do you love me? And he asked that of Peter three different times. And in life, I think we get the same kind of treatment from Jesus everywhere we are and in everything that we're doing. He looks at us and he says, do you love me? Do you love me when you're at work? Do you love me when you're at home? Do you love me when you are alone? Do you love me when you're with your friends? Do you love me when you're fill in the blank? And he asks us that question. And so I'm just going to ask a rhetorical question here, and it is this. Would your love for any of the things that I just mentioned, your love for work or your love for pizza or your love for your friends or your love for your family or your love for you fill in the blank, would that love for that person, that other object or that other scenario take the place of God? Because there's several times that Jesus has said this to us. He mentions it, and we're just going to read two, uh, two situations. One of them is when Jesus is speaking. The other one is from the Old Testament. And, he, and it talks about loving, but there's also several other passages. Once Jesus was sitting with some of his friends, he was talking to them, and somebody came and said, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. 
And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of the Lord are my mother and my brothers, saying that his task to be the savior of the world was what was most important in that moment. And so when asked, like say his mom says, do you love me? Jesus would say, I do love you, but I love my heavenly father more. And so can I say that today? Can I say, when asked by my mom, Matt, do you love me? I can say, yes. Do I love my mom more than I love God? That, I pray, in my deepest of hearts would be no. Now I'll take it a little more intimate. When asked by my children, Daddy, do you love me? Yes. Daddy, do you love me more than you love Jesus? I want to say no. And I want that to reflect in the deepest of my heart. Does that mean that I then treat you guys like trash as a result of my love for Jesus over you? No. You know that I love you more because I do love God more than I love you? Yeah. And so how does that look? Or why does it look that way? Scripture teaches us that putting God first in everything you do, will he will bring to pass the desires of your heart. He will uh, put everything together for your good. And so in that, whenever you do show your love toward God first and first most in everything you do, then everything starts more or less falling into place and people realize that not only do you love God but because you love God he has allowed the lo his love to go into you and then you can spread his love to other people through yourself. Blair, you've multiple times throughout our marriage, 22 years almost now, told me you love me but you get extra lovey toward me is when you see me praying, when I'm preaching the word of God, when I'm sharing Christ's love with other people, you're like, you you comment on it almost the whole 22 years we've been married and the two years that we dated. So for the past 23 years, one of the things that stands out to me every time one of those things happens is I know that Blair loves me and yet I'm showing more love for God in that moment. And yet Blair, as a result, feels love from me because I'm loving God. Does that make sense? So Jesus asked, do you love me? And Peter answers, yes. And he says, do you love me? And he says, yes. And he says, do you love me? And he says, oh my goodness, I've answered this three times. Yes, I love you. And as Messiah, Master, King, Lord, Teacher, and a brother, Jesus, the resurrected from the dead, is obviously not going against his teachings or his life example. There is no hidden pattern and the message that he's trying to place here. And there's no method of ministry that is trying to be pointed out of, well, if God speaks to you three times and calls you into the ministry, then that means you're supposed to be a pastor or you're supposed to be. That is not why John wrote this passage of scripture. There's no method here. There's no hidden meaning or agenda or pattern that's going on. Jesus is specifically looking at his disciple, Peter, and he is saying to him, do you love me? That's it. And Jesus multiple times is saying it to us. Do you love me? Go ahead, Mallory. Whenever you said the priest thing, um, that is what people believe. Like I've read so many books in social studies about so many different people. Every single one of them, every single parent wants them to be a priest and not a missionary, mm. ever. Yeah. 
And so it's always like, oh, but then you know what they did? They went over to another country. And then it's like, that is very typical. <laughs> so like every single story I was reading, usually they would always go to the same exact universities. Oh. Like they would always go to Oxford University and then they would always mention other universities. And then the most one that was like the one insignificant one that has been less used was Yale. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, finally, someone that went to a different university. <laughs> That's funny. So people do believe that they should be priests and stuff like that and in ministers, the church. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So why does Jesus three times ask John, do you love me? Peter. Peter. I'm sorry. Why does Jesus ask three times, Peter, do you love me? Because that's how John recorded it. Simple answer. We don't have to try and read into it and take something out of it, some special formula that is meant for us today. How come Peter, uh, three different times, had to answer Jesus yes? Okay. See, I thought I was wondering if this was going to come then. Go ahead. Okay. From what I've learned from studying scripture is that he had to answer yes three times because Peter denied Jesus three times, and this was Jesus, one of Jesus's ways showing that that his denial is no longer a problem to Jesus anymore. He's been forgiven of that sin, and that's why he's telling him, "Do you love me?" And whenever he responds yes those three times, it's showing Peter. It's not Jesus. It's Jesus telling Peter, but also Peter realizing within himself that. His denial is no longer a problem mm -hmm. in heaven mm -hmm. and with Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. That's one take of the way this could be. Absolutely, there's no doubt. Like I said, I've heard theologians, teachers, I've heard ministers try and give a message on this so many times, and they try and read into it in a way that explains the mysteries of the universe. Or we can just look at it, the fact that Jesus is having a conversation. He doesn't feel like Peter's really paying attention to him. And he says to him three different times, do you love me? No, really, do you love me? Hello, Peter, I'm talking to you. Do you love me or not? Yeah. And to not look at it that way is to not really live in reality. Because how many times have we had conversations, Blair or Xavier or Mallory or Aisha, where it's like there's a little bit of a misunderstanding in the middle of the conversation we're having that we re-emphasize or we re-ask the question again. Doesn't that happen to us almost every day? Mm -hmm. yes. So how could that not be the same way Jesus is having a conversation with Peter that it doesn't explain some spiritual principle like Xavier is saying, but instead it's just a normal conversation that Jesus is trying to get through Peter's thick head yeah. saying look i'm asking you do you love me and here's what i need you to go do because mm -hmm. remember jesus already appeared to him twice already this is the third time he's appeared to him in resurrected form both those times he appeared to him before he said go out i am sending you as god the father sent me unto the nations i'm sending you out and peter's response was to go Fish. fishing and now Jesus is like, do you love me? Like I told you before to go tell people about me, but you went fishing instead. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you, Peter. This is the way God works with us, right? Go ahead. I also think that it was probably that maybe Peter got hung up on the fact that Jesus was telling him to take care of his sheep. Mm -hmm. And he didn't understand what that meant probably because he's like, I'm a fisherman. I'm not a shepherd. Sure. 
that that might have definitely and then been the in third there. time they said it then he probably realized oh now i understand right exactly and that's exactly where i wanted to go so thank you mallory for leading us into that because he says feed my lambs tend my sheep feed my sheep and we can look at this and we can methodically break it down and say okay this is the way we do ministry is first we have to feed the lambs and then we have to or we can look at scripture and say, okay, what does it say in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13? <laughs> Mallory's got that for us today. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It also says in the ESV, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then we also have John chapter 14 verse 15 where Jesus speaks to us exactly what he's talking about to Peter here. Blair has that for us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Wow. I mean, what a tough scripture, but it's one that we seem to forget all the time. <laughs> so beautiful. Then we have the fact that we're talking about sheep, like Mallory was bringing up earlier, and shepherds. So we have Matthew chapter 25, verse 32. Aisha has that for us today. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So Peter may be thinking about this passage where Jesus is speaking about that the king will separate the nations before him as the sheep as he does from the goats. And then he may have even remembered this passage of scripture from the prophet Ezekiel. Yeah, he, yeah. Might. He, he might. He might. He might. <laughs> might. <laughs> Which Blair has that. for us again. <laughs> Who might do that? <laughs> so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, sorry, go ahead with that also. And verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. So these things may have been going through Peter's mind and may not have. We have the fortunate ability to be able to look through the Bible, to be able to use a thesaurus, to be able to use a dictionary, to be able to use so many different resources that we can go and look up passages of scripture. And yet Jesus knew all these things because he is God. 
And because God spoke through the prophets, God spoke through his servants in order to write the Bible in the first place, Jesus knew this and he was speaking these things into Peter's life so that that way he would then remember things like the one passage of scripture that I'm not bringing up, but I will just go ahead and reference is where there is 99 sheep, one goes away, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. These are the passages of scripture that are being implemented and inferenced here whenever we're talking about Jesus saying, do you love me? Tend my lambs, feed, uh, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. It, this is what he's referencing with all of these things in mind. We can see that Jesus is true to his nature by doing exactly what Xavier was mentioning earlier, and that is that he forgave Peter. He forgave Peter for what? Denying him. He forgave Peter for what else? Being silly. Like just being like, I, I can't do this. I'm going to go fishing instead. He forgave Peter for being disobedient. He forgave him for anything across the line that Peter had done that Jesus did not command and did not want him to obey. Peter was forgiven. Now, that is a principle that we can pass on to ourselves today in the 21st century without reading into the passage of Scripture. I know, because of what I'm reading right here, that Jesus will forgive me at all times. Is there anything that God won't forgive me for? Blasphemy. Of? Of the Holy Spirit. Anything else? No. Nothing else. And people like to bring up the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit of, oh, maybe I'm the one that blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you ask that question, you probably didn't. Because a blasphemer of the Holy Spirit isn't going to be concerned with whether they blasphemed the Holy Spirit or not. They're going to be like, forget that. I don't care. I'm doing life my way. But if you have that in your mind of, oh my goodness, there's one sin that God won't forgive. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you think, Did I, have I ever done that? Most likely you have not done that. What's blasphemy? Like speaking against or going against the Holy Spirit. Talking bad about the I'm Holy sure Spirit. I've probably done it before, like on accident or something. No, that's what I'm saying is, is you haven't because you would you were, wouldn't you would know or you wouldn't care. Mm. It wouldn't be a thought of yours. You wouldn't be like, oh I wonder if yeah. I've done that. I was also thinking one day, did I did some like like this? Uh, did I say anything about against a Holy Spirit? Because this is the sin God will never forget. Uh -huh. So uh, forgive. So I was all oh, yes, I did. I I mean I I just uh, like questioning myself. I I uh, what you say? Mm. Don't have the word. Shak ko kya bolta? Shak like. Uh, like oh this is not the the what i'm uh, speaking in the tongue or yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. from holy spirit it's uh, like from evil or something right right I just i was thinking on that is that a sin like i mean it's a thing like i'm hurting i mean going against the holy spirit and not not now but right, yes. right. you're asking yourself yeah, yeah i understand yeah and you're not alone there are a lot of people that ask that same question. There's some people that won't even become Christians because they believe at some point maybe they blaspheme the Holy Spirit and that's the one sin God can't forgive. So therefore there's no way they can be a Christian. Mm -hmm. That's just come from misteaching. Mm -hmm. It also comes from a kind of a fear that we build up inside of ourselves. 
Through this passage of scripture, we can also see that Jesus, true to his nature, reminds Peter of his calling. Peter has not been obedient in going out and said he went fishing, and Jesus isn't reprimanding him or beating him over the head, as we talked about last week, but instead he's reminding Peter, here is what your calling is. And so I'm just curious with you guys, when reading about Peter and Jesus saying, do you love me? And Peter responding, yes, and him saying, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. What do you discover and relate to in this passage of scripture? I'll just go ahead and give some answers and then you guys can jump in with anything else. So from this passage of scripture, I've discovered that Jesus forgives, Jesus loves me, Jesus has a purpose for me. Jesus has a plan for me. Jesus enjoys spending time with me, like him and Peter are like hanging. So Jesus obviously enjoys spending time with me. And that I'm to obey Jesus, all, all of his commands. Next thing I noticed in today's reading of scripture is uh, that Jesus says two words to Peter after they have a discussion. And he repeats them again after Peter like points to John. But what, what are those two words? Follow me. Follow me. So it's kind of interesting to me because at the beginning of John's book, the first chapter, John references the finding of the disciples and Jesus saying to them, follow me. Here we are at the conclusion of John's book. And the message is still the same. Jesus is saying to his disciples, still, they've spent years with him. They've witnessed Jesus's death. They've witnessed his resurrection and he is alive in bodily form in front of all of them right now. And his request is still the same. Mm -hmm. Follow me. I think that's rather impressive for us. Yeah. I think it's impressive for us because as I've talked about times before, and I still believe today, none of us have arrived or achieved everything God has for us as of this moment right now. We have so much more that we can do, not just for God, not just for each other, not just for this world, but we have so many more things that he wants us to accomplish. And so he still calls out to us today, follow me. We're going to do great things together. I also think it's really important for us to recognize that when he says, follow me in the first part of John, John chapter one, uh, verses 35 through 43, or in this passage in John chapter 21, there's other people around. Jesus isn't saying it to just one-on-one -on -one individual. He's saying in a group setting. So like there's five of us sitting around a table right now. If Jesus was to all of a sudden appear and sit with us here right now, and say, follow me to Aisha, we would all hear it. Yeah. If he was to say it to Xavier, we would all hear him. And yet, do you think if he was just looking at Xavier and addressing Xavier, his follow me command was just for Xavier? Or do you think it was for all five of us? For all everyone. five of us. Yeah, absolutely. And so we see Peter getting that command, that request to follow him. And that passes on to us today to follow Jesus. And what really cracks me up is Peter is just this hilarious character in the Bible where he's like, he, Jesus says, follow me. And then Peter's response is, well, John's over there. What about him? 
Like, what do you have to say about him? Does he have to follow you too? Like, that's the way Peter is. And I love that John writes that. Make sure that we get that part included is so funny to me because it's like, that's the way we all are sometimes, right? It's like, we'll be sitting there or we'll be going down the road. God will speak something to us. Go speak to that person about me. It will be like, but there's somebody else passing on the other side of the road. They could talk to him, can't they? And God's response to us is like, look, I've got something for them to do. What I'm asking you to do is to do this. Follow me. Well, but what about them? No, no, no. Don't worry about them. Follow me. This is my request to you is to follow me. Don't you think? I mean, am I alone in that or is that not just a riot? That is silly. <laughs> and so when we see verse 22, and I'm just going to give a, a paraphrase of this, uh, Jesus' response when Peter says, well, what about John? Jesus basically says, look, I have a plan for John. What that plan is, is not your concern. Peter, will you, and then he gives those two words again, follow me. And then that's the end. Like the rest, the next two verses, we don't get Peter's response. The next two verses, John goes on to another subject. Yeah. Leaving that open-ended question, Will you follow me applicable to us today? And so I'm just curious, what prevents you? This doesn't have to be answered aloud. This is for us to reflect on. If you want to answer, that's great. What prevents you from following Jesus all day, every day? What is it? What is that thing that prevents you from following Jesus? What is that one thing in your heart that you know every day, okay, I'm disobedient in this one area and I know it's keeping me from a deeper relationship with Jesus. What is it? Because that's what Jesus is asking Peter to deny, not to deny Jesus, but to deny that thing that's keeping him from a deeper relationship with God. So what is that thing in your life? Or what is it that's holding you back from total obedience to Jesus and his commands? What is keeping you? And then thirdly, will you follow Jesus today? Will you follow Jesus today? This is just as applicable to me as a man who has been following Jesus for over 25 years. I woke up this morning and this question was asked of me, Matt, today in the 21st century, will you follow me? And my answer is yes. And I'm going to go through my day doing my best to follow Jesus. And when I go to sleep tonight, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. If God wills, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And the question is going to come to me again. Will you follow me? And then I'm going to go to sleep after that day's over. And the next day is going to start. And again, why would that persistence of will you follow me be something that Jesus asks us? I mean, it's easy to get our priorities out of whack mm. every day. It's so easy to look at our own self. Our self can allow us to get in the way of Christ Jesus. And as ourselves look at other people, that really causes us our um, vision, so to say, to get out of focus, to become blurry because we're paying more attention to what our friend is doing or what are um, what other people are doing in life, and then in return, we self-reflect and go, "Oh, I'll never be as good as them. I'll never be as pretty as them, or 
I'll never be successful as, you know, building an NGO or a company from the ground up or, well, there's already other people that are already doing this business. What do I need to do? We can really internalize that kind of life and really beat our own selves up with our own self-talk mm-hmm. instead of reflecting on what Christ Jesus says yeah. in his word about us. Yeah. Because someone's always going to, agree with you of yeah you're right you're useless you're worthless you're nothing you're but i'll make you into something but I can, yeah. <laughs> if you're willing to do this this and this then i can make you into something right but with christ we're enough and he's enough and he's enough absolutely any other thoughts well you're asking the question what is it that is a lot not allowing you to get I mean follow after Jesus and we can always put the blame on oh it's this sin or it's my family member it's this when inevitably it's none of those things it's really just yourself hmm. you're putting the blame on something else because you don't want to do it it's too scary it's too that's too much commitment and it you can say it is these other things in your life but it all boils down to you it is your choice you're the one who's blocking yourself from following after christ Mm -hmm. and it's not something anybody else can decide for you it is all up to you yeah and so that's how you make your decision is Mm -hmm. are you willing to let yourself go and let god be in control an older way of saying it was, are you willing to surrender your life unto Jesus? Are you willing to give it all up for him, surrendering? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, when you're talking like that, Xavier, it makes me think of there was a meme and it showed a guy like in the gym and he's really, really, really skinny, like very thin. And he's lifting very light weights and everybody's laughing at him. Oh, look at the guy trying to lift up the weights, blah, 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 blah. And then below it is two years later and it's the same guy, but he's really fit and everybody's like, I wish I was like him. Mm-hmm. Well, he put the time, the dedication, the discipline, et cetera, et cetera, into it. And what we often see, and this is back to what even Blair was saying is, is we see the end result. We don't see the beginning or the middle or any of the mess ups or any of the mistakes or any of the problems. We see the end result and we say, that's what I want. And I want it now. And a lot of times we're not willing to surrender ourselves and make the sacrifices necessary in order to get that end result. Mm -hmm. And that definitely does keep us from following Christ. And again, it's still right back to us. Like we have to, okay, it's day one. And I know I'm 43 years old, but it's still day one. And I'm going to start today. And then we do. And then we do day two. And then we're sore. And I'm not just talking about lifting weights. I'm saying anything, business, we're sore. Oh, I got beat up on the phone yesterday. Everybody rejected me whenever I was cold calling. Oh, I was trying to find a business to work with in order to get this to happen so that that way I could, and, 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 and we can get frustrated along the way. Or the economy can collapse and all of a sudden now we've lost all of our revenue so that way we were going to start this other company and get things going and now we don't have the ability to do it. And so we're scrambling to try and figure out, okay, how can I do something else or how can I do the same thing but do it for cheaper? And when we're doing those things, we're looking at everybody else that has this great end result and we're not looking at the fact that it's okay. I'm, I'm in a process of following 
Christ today. Very good, guys. Awesome. Point number three is verse 25. John points out to us, there's so much more Jesus did that I did not contain in these 21 chapters of this book. And if I was to start writing, I wouldn't be able to write all of the amazing things Jesus did. And in fact, there would be so many books written about Jesus for all of the incredible things he did while he was on this earth that every single one of the books would be filled up that the world wouldn't even be able to hold all of the books of the information of how good Jesus is. That's the way he concludes the book of John. And I want to look at that by saying Jesus always has more. He always has more for us. This isn't the kind of more where we say, okay, I need more salvation, as Blair already brought up. Once I call on the name of the Lord to save me, my salvation is secure, period. Christ died for my sins, and when I confess them and he forgives me, that sin is washed away and he has done it. I don't have to revisit that again. I don't have to worry about that again. I don't have to keep bringing it up. I don't have to self-talk against myself anymore. The resurrected Christ is resurrecting me to a new life. This world will pass away. This body that I'm in is going to pass away. But because my faith and my hope is in Jesus, I will have a new body and I have a ticket into the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus is preparing for me. That came the moment that I said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. That's secure. That's done. But Jesus still has some more things for us. What are they? Ask them. It's not our works. You see, no matter how hard we work and no matter how many works we do, that doesn't earn us more salvation. It's not like our salvation cup needs to be filled up anymore. Jesus already paid that price. And so the works that I do, that doesn't help me with my salvation. That doesn't rescue me from hell, damnation, and an eternity of suffering. However, I must help others, not for a reward, but because I'm a representative of who Jesus is. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm an ambassador of that creator God. And so I don't help others because it's going to earn myself. I'm going to earn something from it. No, instead, as Keith Green says in one of his older songs, he says, my earning, my reward is to give glory to you, Lord. That's what my reward is. My reward isn't a crown. My reward isn't jewelry. My reward isn't more money. My reward isn't more blessings or for my company to never fail or for my bank account to never go down to zero or below zero. That's not my reward. My reward is to give glory to God. Giving money will not earn me or protect me from evil and grant me salvation. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ that does that. However, there are orphans and there are widows in this world today. There are young men, young women. There are older men and older women who grew up without mom and a dad. There are spouses whose significant other died. Does that mean that we don't help them? 
because we're Christians? Or does that mean we help them because maybe there'll be a newspaper article written about me one day? Maybe if I post a picture of me helping out this orphan, then I'll get a lot of social media likes and everybody will really think, oh, what a great guy. Wow, can you see all the help he's giving these people? Oh, look at him posing and he's taking a picture with the poor as he's handing them food or handing them money. No, instead we give a tithe, not letting our right hand know what our left hand is doing. We give offerings to ministries, and we give to widows and orphans because Jesus asks us to, and he says, do you love me? And if you love me, you will obey me. And when John says there's more that can be written about Jesus did, that all of the good things that Christ did while he was on this earth, that makes me excited to read the Bible again. Oh, but I thought you've already read the Bible through. I've read it through several times. I don't even know the number, but I'm excited to read it every time I read it. That means I'm excited to pray because he's going to speak to me and he's going to share with me and he's going to talk with me. It means that when I pick up a biography and I read about people who trusted in God, Mallory talked about some of those people from her social studies class earlier. They went to these Oxford and Yale universities. and It encourages me to read their stories because I can see the testimony of Jesus in their lives. I get excited to listen to songs of Christ's goodness, to look at artworks that are dedicated to Jesus, to maybe even myself write a book or write a song or paint a picture or make a piece of pottery or all of the above and to share about who Jesus is, to go proclaim Jesus. He is Messiah, our Savior. And so when John concludes with there's more out there, it excites me because I can see how much more there is. How do you feel when you're creating a new song? You've created two songs so far. You're working on a third song. How does that process feel? It's an interesting process, definitely. It feels satisfying once you have completed it and you get the satisfaction of having a fully completed song but like the in-between process is just, I don't, it's hard to describe. It's just there. Do you get frustrated during the process? Yes. And it excites me, not just because it's, especially because it's you that's writing it, obviously, because you're my son and I love you. Yeah. But the joy that is there is just amazing to me because it shows us that Christ is still alive today mm -hmm. in the process of writing a song. And it's not always easy. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day, and that we will worship you every single day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.